this morning. So uh, do you ever have uh, aspirations to endure and persevere through something and uh, you come up a little short? Doesn't, doesn't, you don't exactly finish strong. Um, you, there's a fine line, I think, between stubbornness, probably should have quit, and bravery and endurance, right? Well, when I was in college, I uh, ran track, but the reason I ran track was because I didn't make the soccer team. And the reason I didn't make the soccer team was because there's a story. So um, <laughs> I, was, I made it past the first tryout, which was at the end of the school year, my senior year. I made it past the first tryout, got invited to an exclusive second tryout. Uh, the problem is between the first and the second tryout, there was a summer in there. And uh, I got really out of shape. And it was because I worked, I worked night shift, like 80 hours a week at a factory, a paper mill here in town. So if you're night shift, you work in factory, you're on your feet all day, you're my hero. I, I have so much appreciation and respect for you. You did it longer than I'd ever be, able to, ever be able to do it. And I did it for three months, and I was beat up. My body was beat up. You know, just, you know you're, when you're up all night, your chemistry and your brain is all worse than normal, at least for me. And I was, and I was out of shape. And I show up to this tryout, and uh, the first thing I had to do is run around the field seven times in seven minutes. It's a pretty intense deal. And I was <laughs> so far, I was so far back, the entire 20-man squad had the time to go get water, rest, they did their taxes, and then they, uh, <laughs> then they lined up on the finish line of the field where we were supposed to finish, and they were there to watch and cheer my entire last lap, like the whole thing. And, and to be honest with you, like, at first, it was kind of patronizing, but then like after a while, I was like, well, they're really trying to help me. They're trying to help me push through this. And they're like, come on, Brian, you can do it. Like all of them. And I'm running around. And when you're, you know, when you're exhausted and you're having to keep running, you know what you look like? I mean, you know, your, your chin like comes up and your arms are doing weird stuff. And you're just, it's like you're running, but someone's pulling you, but no one's pulling you. You're just weak. And I'm, and I'm running. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm kind of getting into it. They're cheering for me. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is my chance to show them that I'm really, I got grit. You know, I can push through. And so, I, like, in my head, it's like, this is my Rudy moment. Like, they're going to make a movie out of this someday. <laughs> and, and I'm, like, hearing, like, da 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 You know, and that's a movie, by the way. Um, but anyway, so I'm running, and, you know, they're cheering, come on, Brian, come on. And then all of a sudden, I got sick everywhere. It was bad. And, you know, it happens sometimes, right? You just, it happens 20 yards before the finish line, and they were like, that applause went from, come on, Brian, come on. Oh, gosh, oh. Oof. <laughs> Is he still, he's still going. Still. It was bad. And so I finished finally. It was a mess. I mean, I looked awful. And, and I get done, and the, the coach lines us up. He does something kind of, this is a true story. That's what he did. He lined us up on the finish line there. He said, listen, some of you did not give it your all. You didn't leave your all on the field. And I was like, well, mine's right over there. It's right. Some of it's still here. And he's like, yeah, you didn't leave. And he goes, raise your hand if you didn't give it your all because you're going to run it again. And I was like, well, this is going to be a good movie. This is a Rudy movie. My, it's going to be really good. I'm going to show him. I still got, I got it in me. I'm like all pale and <laughs> sickly. I look, I look like a disaster, but I'm like, <sighs> like, raise my hand. And he goes, put your hand down, Brian. You're done. And that was it. And I got cut. So was, I tried. I was like, but I got it. He's like, you're done. I see you're all that's out there. So. Anyway, and, uh, but then, you know, I did join track, set some school records, and, you know, became an All-American. But, uh, you know, that's for next sermon. That's the next, that's the next sermon. You know, I, I would think the, more than ending the comfort, uh, more than ending the discomfort, I should say, when we're going through a trial or a test or something that's hard, more than ending 
the suffering to some degree, we want to know we can, we can push through it. I mean, I, I think there's a part of us that wants to tell a better story, right? You don't want my story of just, you know, tripping on your face like that. You want to know you pushed through, you persevered. And, and the reason we're talking about this right now in Lent is because if you're doing it, if you're doing the full 40-day thing, it's the last week. And now you're like, it's 35, 35 can round up, right, at 35 to 40, and can we just round up? It's hard to finish. It's hard to finish strong. And the reason, you know, you fast is because, right, we're doing it because it's a tradition, not because it's a commandment or the Bible. Lent is not in the Bible, but we're just doing it because what we're doing is we're using this time to what I call audit our loves. You know, take all the things you love, good things, but just make sure they don't become the ultimate thing. So you just test it, right? You pick something that you're like, well, 40 days without that is going to be tough. That's probably your thing. The moment you say that, you're like, that's the thing. It's not giving up sin, by the way, just so we all are on the same page. It's not like, I'm going to stop stealing stuff for 40 days. Like, you should probably just not steal stuff, okay? That's, that's not what fasting is. It's like, for 40 days, once a year, I'm not going to steal anything. Just don't do it. But fasting is giving up good things to be able to focus on the ultimate thing. It takes time. It takes some perseverance. And so I want to give you a chance to tell a better story. I want us to all tell a better story. And to do that, we're going to look at one of the best stories ever told. It comes in a book called Hebrews. It's actually a letter in the Bible in the New Testament. And it's a book called Hebrews because it's written to Hebrews. It's written to Jews. And the reason it was written to Jews is because they were going through a long marathon of trial and testing. And, and they, were, they were persecuted. Um, and the reason they're persecuted is because they had just become Christians. And the story we can tell today, maybe even you can tell personally because you're a Christian, is that we stand on their shoulders. God used them, and they, and they kept passing on faith to the next generation, and here we are today, because God used their perseverance. And so this letter is written to say, hey, knock, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. And so let's see what we can learn about our story. Maybe we can tell a better one than the one I told, and uh, let's learn from this. Now, we're going to be in chapter 12. The reason we're picking chapter 12 is much of the, the scholars and the commentaries I read said this chapter and these verses that we're about to read pretty much are the thesis, almost, of this entire book. They're kind of the, the thesis statement to sum up how to not quit, how to persevere. So let's do that. They're in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, there's a lot in here. You'll notice we're coming into a word, therefore. There's a lot before the therefore. There's a lot after the therefore. But this is where we're going to be. We're just going to grab what we can out of these three verses here. Okay, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, so considerate who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, the first word I want to pull out of this, this passage here is not necessarily the first um, topic that's addressed, but it sets the context for the whole passage. And the word is translated here in English as race, or, or the, the race, like you're running a race, and um, the Greek word for that is actually agon. Now, agon, you can kind of see it behind me. If you, if you can remember your Greek, that's how it's written in the Greek. I'm just kidding. Those are my daughter's uh, squiggles that she did. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's Greek. 
And it means, it means race, but it can also be interpreted uh, fight, you know, struggle. But either way you interpret it, whether it's fight, struggle, race, either way, agon is agony. That's where we get that word, agony. Agony, agonizing is a derivative of this Greek word, agon, because in any case, fight, struggle, race, pain, pain to the agony, serious pain. And here's the first principle. This is how you're going you're to tell a better story. You want to tell the story of persevering, getting through it. You got to start here. Expect to run. Expect to not be able to just walk and saunter through life. There's going to be some running. There's going to be some agony. There's going to be a race. There's going to be pain. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's not that profound. Like, I know that. I didn't need to come here and watch this online to hear that. But let me just say this. What is unique about the way we deal with this in America is different than a lot of countries, particularly in the West, but particularly in America. And I wouldn't preach what I'm about to preach to every country in the world, but I'll preach it here because it's our context. And this is it. Our race, our struggle is uniquely hard. Our struggle is uniquely painful. And I'll tell you why. Now, every, every country, every people group have their own pain, and it's unique and different and painful nonetheless. But ours is unique, and here's why. Because you and I, we not only struggle from the pain of suffering, the pain of tragedy, the pain of loss, but we also struggle because we have the pain of the shock and surprise of struggle. Like, like we don't just have the trauma of the tragedy or the loss or the pain in our life, but we have the trauma from the surprise and the shock that we're suffering and in pain. And let me just say, that's not true in every part of the world. They don't have that double pain. And in 2004, this is the case study that kind of proves it. In 2004, there was this massive uh, tsunami killed over, I mean, this is over, over a quarter million people within hours, within moments, right? This, this 9.2, 9.3 level um, uh, on, this, on, the, on the Richter scale uh, earthquake in the Indian Ocean sent a tsunami over 100 feet tall across major swaths of East Asia and Indonesia. And it was on Boxer Day, which is a holiday, so many of them were by the beach, unfortunately, at that time. And it was, in, it was December 26th. You might remember watching this on TV. It might have been around TV more than normal because it's a holiday time. And this tsunami was one of the most catastrophic events in human history. And like you'd expect, the world mobilizes aid in all kinds of uh, forms, financial, um, people of all different skills and professional abilities were sent over to deal with this crisis. And one of the categories of aid that was sent was a global team of mental health care therapists, counselors, experts, psychologists. And they all were partnering together to go and provide counseling services to deal with the trauma of all of this catastrophic loss of life. And when they arrived there, they realized that most of the people, and this was documented, most of the people affected by this were very poor communities. You know, they don't have the infrastructure to climb onto. They don't have the, the infrastructure to support um, some kind of a natural disaster like this. So the most radical loss of life and death in the areas they went to were in areas of derelict poverty, abject derelict poverty, uh, decimated by already pre-existing suffering and and untold pain and horror, just of living in an absolute third world country. So they descend upon this area and they start doing their counseling and therapy. And it's documented that within a very short amount of time, they came home. And they were interviewed and there was, an, there was a case study done this. They said, why'd you come home so quick? What, what'd you, why'd you leave? And there was a lot of them that said it didn't work and it wasn't needed. 
And there were some of them that said it was just they moved through the grief cycle so fast. It, was, they did, it didn't take that much time. And you're, and you're thinking, like, we're in the Western world. Like, how, how, do you, how do you go through something like that? You don't need, like, months, years of therapy and counseling. And here's what they said. They said these people affected by this, they, they, they live in constant suffering. I mean, they, they lose people all the time, like disease, violence, unrest, um, no, no access to clean water and food. They lose people all the time. They're always in struggle. Life for them is an agonizing, long marathon all the time. So whether it's a cataclysmic natural disaster or just life, they're losing people all the time. They're always dealing with suffering. And so they just move through that grief cycle. And the, the trauma and the shock of surprise of suffering, they didn't have any of that. So, look, this is not a call in the scripture to be the biggest Eeyores on the planet. Like, Christians shouldn't be the biggest Eeyores and everything's bad. And, no, this book is a lot about joy and about peace and about contentment. But it is honest with you. And the key takeaway for you, maybe the first one, is just do your best. It's hard to manufacture this, but do your best. I, don't need to, I can't be surprised by suffering. I, I got to at least give myself permission not to deal with that kind of trauma because let me tell you something. It's real. It's life. You know it. We know it. So we can expect it. Expect it. That's number one, expect to run. Number two is this, um, expect to sweat. You know, the, the writer in this particular passage says, throw off all the stuff that entangles you, the sin that so easily entangles. Throw that stuff off. The reason the writer's talking about Sin in a time of suffering is because this is what happens. You know this and I know this. When we're suffering, when we're being persecuted, when there's some hard stuff in our life, let me tell you something, our sins get worse. <laughs> they get worse, right? Because it's what perseverance is. You're getting to the border of your patience. You're getting to the border of your forgiveness and being asked to go a little bit further. You're getting to the border of your faith and your hope. You're getting to the border of it. That's what perseverance is. I mean, so... So sin, it, it just, it kind of starts coming out. When, when the pandemic first hit in, uh, in March of last year, uh, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but like Hannah and I, we were just fighting about almost every little thing. We didn't know why. It was like, we just were really going at each other a lot. And it just, it was hard. And there was one day, we're both standing in the kitchen and, and we're just realizing like we're fighting all the time. We're kind of building up this resentment. And, and we just both kind of stopped. It kind of hit at the same time. You know what? I, I don't think the problem is this, in the pandemic or anything that is problem is like our own you know comfort desire for you know conveniences and stuff that's it's the problems in here listen crisis doesn't refine you now crisis reveals you crisis just surfaces what's in you it helps you confront what's in you you know so often in the bible when you think of god punishing it's not like you're selfish so god is going to punish you like you're selfish god's going to punish you with children make you unselfish it feels like that, right? But that's not what it is. No, 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 no. You have kids and it just reveals. It just reveals your selfishness. Like, whoa, I'm selfish, right? And so are they, you know, speaking of. No, I'm just kidding. Ours are still not paying rent yet, but we're letting them stay. It just reveals you. That's what crisis does. Your sins get worse. You see them. You see them for what they are. But this is why I need to marry it with what the writer also mentions later in the passage. He says this. He says, run with hypomene, which is the Greek word for perseverance. Run with hypomene. Here's why this is important, okay? 
Hypomene is translated in some, so many ways as like hyperstand, like stand still, hyperly, like just stand there intensely. Don't move. Don't. So you're like run by standing still. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying keep doing, stay doing, stay doing, keep doing all the things that you do when you're in a good time. All the things you do when things are going easy and things are going good. Do those things. Keep doing those things. Don't retreat from those things. Don't change those things. Keep doing them. Like, and he's talking to a Christian audience. He's saying, listen to me. He's saying, your sins are going to show up. <laughs> okay, that's what crisis does. And he's saying, if you're going to deal with these, because what, what gets revealed gets healed if you combine it with walking with the Lord, if you stay, the, if you stay the, with the things God's called you to stay with. Keep reading the Bible. Keep going to church. Keep fellowshipping and engaging with your Christian brothers and sisters. Keep singing and worshiping the songs that you sing when you were in good times. Sing them in the bad times. Don't stop. Keep doing. Don't move. Stand still. Keep doing it. Listen, we all know people where stuff got revealed in crisis and they didn't get healed. It didn't go good. Crisis did not refine them. It broke them. You know, the stuff came out, but it never got dealt with. And so it breaks everything. It breaks everything down. What, what the writer is saying here is, says, look, that stuff's going to come out. But if you want to deal with it, you got to persevere. you got to stay. Keep doing the stuff. Listen, even if you're not a Christian, you're watching this say, you're like, I'm still spiritually undecided. I don't know what I believe about God. I'm glad you're here. Listen, this is true for you, too. Here's one way maybe for you to apply this. When you're in crisis, what do you do? You stop doing the things that you probably should keep doing. You stop sleeping, right? You just stop sleeping. You're up all the time. You stop exercising, you know? You stop eating, maybe. You stop, your appetite's gone. You stop being around people. You start isolating, start pulling away. This is what the, the author's saying. Listen, you want to make it? You want to tell a better story? Expect to run. Expect to sweat. But while you're sweating, while those toxins are coming out and all that stuff's coming out, you got you to combine it with what you do in the good times as well. You gotta, as a Christian, you got to keep reading that Bible. You got to keep praising. You got to keep showing up. Keep going. Don't stop those things. That's how you persevere. This is... Uh, this is the third one. Number three, you got to expect to finish. You got to expect to win. You're a believer. You're a Christian. The reality is, is when you fix your eyes on Christ, you're fixing your eyes on the Savior, the pioneer, and the perfecter of your faith. And he's with you in it. You're in him. He's in you. Spiritually, you guys are one. And so you got to expect to win. And here's what this means. When he says, when he says pioneer and perfecter of our faith, when he describes Jesus in those two terms, he's trying to conjure up, it's a military uh, connotation, it's a military title. And the title is, it, the concept is this idea of Jesus as a champion. And I know that sounds weird. You're like, champion, like, is that just the, the winner of the match? Like in our language, that's just the winner of the match. Now, in the ancient world, there was an actual designated title for a uh, military personnel that was called the champion. And this person, it was his title, they had two jobs. One was to pioneer. And when you're pioneering as the, ch as the champion, what you're doing is you are taking all the flaming arrows of the villain and all the enemy's uh, artillery. You're taking all of that so that the weaker, the weaker part of the military can maneuver out and around and flank or just get out from the bad situation. That's what your job is as a champion, is you're to pioneer. You're to take the hit. Second thing you're supposed to do as a champion is to be the perfecter, meaning finisher. 
meaning you're victorious. You're not just taking the enemy, the flaming arrows of the enemy. You're vanquishing the enemy. You're, you're taking down the villain. That's your job. That's what you're expected to do. That's what you're equipped to do. That's what you're uniquely gifted for. And this is the reality. On the cross 2,000 years ago at Easter, Jesus did both of those for us, right? He took on all the punishment for our sin. Let me tell you something. Grace is not letting God get, letting uh, you get away with all your stuff. That's not, grace isn't God saying, ah, I'm just going to look the other way. That's called injustice. The good news is, is God is perfectly just. The bad news is, is that means that we got to pay for our stuff. And God says, I don't want you to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that hit. So Jesus pioneers all that stuff, all the sins that are getting worse in your life right now because your current trial you're going through. you got to fix your eyes on Jesus having paid for those. Jesus is paying for this right now. He's already paid for it. And then you got to fix your eyes on the fact that he's going to get you through this. He's going to be victorious with you through this. He's with you in it. He's taken the hit for it, but he's going he's gonna to get you through it. Now, fixing your eyes is not like visually. It's not like, you know, it's Jesus is like this picture you can kind of stand up and look at. That's not what it means. It has to do with your attention. Another way to put it would be imagining Jesus as pioneer and perfecter in every circumstance in your current situation and in your future. You know, you ever think about this? You ever think about of all the things Christians could do 52 Sundays a year all over the world for centuries, of all the things we could decide are going to be on our agenda every time we meet? Why sing? You know? I mean, there's a lot of us in here that are like, I like music, but I'm not a singer, you know? Like the guy be behind me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. Totally made that up. No, I, I just, I'm not a singer. I feel pity for everybody around me. I don't like to sing. I don't sing anywhere else in my day. I'm not always, I mean, I'll sing to my kids as I'm going, you know, putting them to bed. But even that, like, that's going to be short-lived as soon as they're old enough to know what music really sounds like. You know, why sing of all the things? Let me tell you something. There are a few things more powerful than truth put to lyric and rhythm at helping your imagination, helping you fix your mental eyes on the truth of who God is. Because let me tell you something, when you're in crisis, there's a whole lot of lies in here. There's a whole lot of, you are starting to imagine your future, imagine your current circumstances based on all kinds of stuff that's not Jesus. And so listen, in the good times and the bad times, you gotta gather, you gotta stay the course, keep doing the stuff, but you gotta sing and sing the songs that you sing in the bad times, sing them in the good times. At the end of the service, we're going to sing the song Hosanna. We're going to sing, and I want you to apply this sermon right now. Hosanna is about not just hooray God. It's God save us. Do the thing that you do. Redeem, heal. And we're going to sing this. I want you to apply it today. I want you to let your imagination run with truth. Let, let the music do that. This isn't just good-feeling TED Talk. This is Bible. It's what it says. If you don't like it, then don't believe it, but it's what it says. Let your mind imagine the reality and the, who God is, but contextualize in your future, your possible future, and your circumstances because Jesus is in it, pioneering and perfecting. To kind of sum up this whole section, I want to say this. If you go through problems, if you go through suffering, if you go through trials, if you go through issues, and the problem is always out there, it's always that job it's always that, sp that spouse that just, if they would just stop doing what they're doing, if they would just appreciate me more, if they would just ask for forgiveness, if it's that boss, if it's that thing that, that you, you know, you got, um, you got some 
challenge in your life that's you're trying to take this hill and you can't get up it, whatever it is, if it's out there, if the problem is always out there, can I be honest with you? So is the solution, right? If the problem is outside of you, the solution is too. And the good news of the gospel is this. The problem is in you. And so is the solution. Because Christ, he's in you. He gives you the power to say yes. You can't, no, you can say yes. As long as God is in the fight, you're never out of it. You can say no. And I, look, saying would love for you to leave here thinking like, you know, it's not, I can't, I can't. And I'm, look, this is what the Bible says. You can. You can. Because here's the thing. As long as the problem is in you, so is the solution. That's God. That's Christ working in you. So, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on that. Fix your mental imagination around what's possible with Jesus and who he is. But the last, the last part of this passage that we have to leave here with today is probably the toughest to swallow. I'm going to be honest with you. This is hard. It's hard to hear the problem is in us, but it's nice to know that the solution is too. But this part is, might just be hard for some of you because there is some unspeakable pain in this room. I, I, I know in a room this size, if you're watching online, you got some stuff that is probably, if we, if we heard it, we would just grieve with you. Right now, maybe you're going through something. But this is the reality, and I, I'd encourage you, don't turn this off. If you're watching online, if you're here, don't, don't stop at this. It's going to be hard to hear, but you have to hear it. There's a word in this passage that you need to hear today. And it's the word that we translate as marked out. That this race is marked out. This race had some intentionality around it. The race that you run, the race that I run were different, but the thing that's the same is that it was marked out for us. The Greek word there is prokomai. It means that somebody with intentionality set it up, arranged it. Every corner, every detour, every route that was taken, every single turn, every minute, every second of your life comes underneath the authority and the sovereignty of God. And I know when I'm saying that, there's some things you're going through your head like, that's really hard to hear because I'm going through some really hard stuff. And you're telling me that all that stuff had to go underneath the nose and the authority and the sovereignty of God. Let me tell you something. You can't read the Bible and walk away with a theology that is God does evil. You can't do that. You'd have to cut out. I mean, if you, if you believe this, you'd have to cut out like most of this book with some scissors. If you believe that God does evil, he doesn't. It's not in there. But what isn't here is that God's power and his sovereignty and his authority is above evil. And evil has to get permission. Now, here's, here's what, what's hard. If you're hearing that and you're saying, this is where, Brian, you and I disagree. This is where we're going to part ways here. Let me just, before you leave, before you sign off, before you turn off the YouTube, whatever, I want you to hear this. This is what you've chosen to believe. If that's what you're going to believe, this is what you've chosen to believe. You've chosen to believe that God is somehow cosmically playing tennis with evil. And, and evil is just firing back and God's kind of just reacting to it. And if that's true, then let me tell you what you believe is that God is actually not God. He's not God. You don't believe that. He's not God. Evil is God. You know, because if evil has the authority, if evil's got say, evil is God. And God is not God. And that, that for me, I, I, dude, that's a scarier, that's a scarier theology. But this is what you also believe. You also believe like God 
made this perfect world, this perfect Garden of Eden, and put Adam and Eve, and he made this perfect world millennia ago, and evil ruined it. Poor God. Poor God. You know, he had this really perfect, good plan, and then evil comes in and ruins it, and now everything is just second best. Everything is just second best. Like, it was good. God gave it a good shot, and he's trying to salvage what he can at the cross, but it's all just second best, third best, fourth best. The only way to fix it would be a time machine, and we ain't doing that. So we're salvaging what we can. The cross is God's effort to just take what he can, but it's not best. It's just second best. And let me tell you something. If you believe that theologically, I'm here to tell you, that's why you got no hope. That's why, because you believe, listen to me, because you believe that about your life, don't you? That's what you believe about your life. You know, like I had this life that was going to be great, but now I messed it up. I screwed it up, and now I don't, it's, it's going to be second best. They messed it up. This thing messed it up. 2020 messed it up. Whatever it is, it's second best. That's what you believe. And I'm here to tell you today, the Bible says that's not true. Your life, if you give it to God, will be best. God doesn't have a second best. He didn't make you for second best. Because let me tell you something, there's nothing better than bravery, courage, persevering, love in spite of sacrifice, faithfulness in spite of death. There's nothing better. It's best. Listen, evil does nothing to God's plan other than make it an opportunity for his love, his grace, his faithfulness to be at a higher volume than it was before. No, there's hope. Your Listen to me, do you believe this? That your life is capable right now of being best, that your best days are ahead of you, not second best. That's this book. That's what it says. If you take credit for your failures, you're going to be tempted to take credit for your success too. God is over it. He's over. He's allowed it. He's allowed it. Let me tell you something. It has purpose. It's a better story. It's a better story. It's the best story. How do I know that? I know people. I know people. We know people who've been through unspeakable pain and suffering, stuff that they wouldn't wish on their worst enemy. But you know what they say? They say the most crazy but the most gospel truth. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but let me tell you something. I would not trade it because it revealed to me God's love and grace at a higher volume that I never know otherwise. Let me tell you something. Comfort, pleasure, the opposite of suffering, right? Comfort, pleasure, the opposite of suffering. Let me tell you something. That is not your purpose in life. Maximizing your comfort to a new level every day, trying to get to this spot, that's not your purpose. You know how I know that? Because I know people who have all the comfort. They got there. They got to the highest level, and they're empty. They got no purpose. In fact, they're willing to give up all the comfort and go into suffering. Why? For purpose. Purpose. That is a special kind of hell, to have all the comfort in the world and no purpose. And if you're watching and this is you, you know it, right? You know it. And I know people that have been in unspeakable suffering, and they don't wish it on anybody but they do it again. They had purpose. It's a better story. This word shows up again. This marked out word, it shows up again in this passage in an interesting spot. This word shows up. Prokomai shows up in another spot. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race Prokamai marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy marked out for him. Chosen for him. The joy, Prokamai, for Jesus. He endured the cross, the most agonizing, tormenting moment you and I would ever possibly experience would be the moment that we get through life, we do our best, and God says, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus endured that on the cross. He did his best. He tried his hardest. It was, it was actually objectively best. He was perfect. He did it all. He endured this suffering. He gets to the end, and God says, turns his back on him, says nothing. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? He endured the worst, but why? Something was marked out for him. Something was some joy. What is his joy? He doesn't need suffering to get stronger. He's God. He doesn't need suffering to draw him closer to God. He's God. He doesn't need suffering to be morally good. He's pretty morally good, perfect. What is his joy that was ahead of him that he didn't have before? What was waiting for him out here that he didn't already have? You know what it is? Jew. 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 It's me. You are the joy that put Jesus on that cross that he decided, look, I can't, and even hell can't let me, have me let go of that person. You, me, the joy and our purpose, our highest joy is only going to be found with Jesus. So suffering is not about just you becoming spiritually, morally more stronger. It's about relationship. He endures his suffering. He goes through it all. And he, at the end of it just gets death. We go through our suffering and it, it leads us to Jesus. Maybe that's why you're here watching for the first time or you're in church today. It's because you're in a place of suffering and pain. And Jesus is telling you here today, it's not your life is not going to be second best because of this. It's going to be best. Do it with me. Let the suffering have drawn you to here to Christ and let him take the rest. Don't settle for second best. You don't have to. No matter what kind of pain, no matter what kind of mistakes you've done, Jesus is the perfecter of it. And what he finishes or what he starts, no, no, no pandemic's going to end. He can finish it. No person's going to end it. Not even you. You can't get in the way of it. So let him. Let him lead you. Let him take your life. Give it to him. And find purpose and tell a better story. You can make it with Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you entered the race. You didn't just stand and watch us run and cheer for, cheer for us on the sidelines. No, you, you got in it with us, Lord. You suffered through the agony of it with us. You endured it worse than we'll ever know so that we don't have to. And then, Lord, in your grace, you give us a better story. It's not easy, Lord. It, it's, not a, it's not an easy story. It's not full of comfort, but it's a better story. Lord, I pray we would be a church that walks toward the better story, that leans into it, trusts you with it, rests in you as the pioneer, take the hit, and perfect us, Lord. 
Do that with every individual here and with us as a church body as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.